Well, uh, that was a good song. <laughs> kind of got me right in the right in the feels this morning. So, um, yeah. So uh, we're going to go back to our series here called Kingdom Outpost. And uh, in my life, I've discovered um, that I, I do have very little ability uh, with my hands. Um, when I work on household projects, and for some reason we keep buying houses that we have to do household projects in, uh, it's a very odd, odd phenomenon that we have have encountered in our lives. Um, but when I work on a household project, it sometimes it, it takes quite a while for me to get get it done. Um, we bought our house back in March, and uh, you know I'm still doing various and sundry things around the house. Um, and, and when I do things, when I work around the house, sometimes it, uh, it ends up looking worse than it did when, uh, when we originally received the house. And so, and it costs more money than it should have. Um, and one of the reasons for that in, in my, uh, experience is that I often, I don't know enough and I'm not aware enough of the tools, the particular tools that I may need to accomplish the job, um, and, and that's that's very important when it comes to doing work. Let me give you an example of this. When we were moving uh, up here from Virginia, uh, we were in the process of selling our house there, and there was a, we had a, a pretty nice deck on the back, um, and there were some boards on it that needed to be replaced. And uh, so I thought, well, I can just do this. I'll replace the boards. And, of course, they're nailed down. They're under the sides of the deck. And so... Uh, you know, I thought, well, I'll just go out there and I'll pull the nails up and I'll pull the boards up and then just put new ones in. And, uh, it was, it was quite a bit more difficult than I thought it was going to be. And so I spent all morning trying to do this and I'm working on it and working on it. And, you know, I was able to get maybe one or two boards out. And then, um, one of my friends said to me, well, there's this tool that you need to use called a sawzall. And this particular tool will let you cut the boards. If you don't know what it is, that's fine. But it'll let you cut the boards, get them out, and then replace the new ones pretty quickly and easily. And so I was able to get hold of one of those, and I got the tool over there. And, I mean, it was, like, perfect, easily accomplished, easily done, and was able to get the job done fairly quickly after that. And it's because that tool is designed for a lot of things, but it had specific purpose for the cuts that I needed to make when it came to... Uh, to doing that particular job. Um, it's as if it was designed for the, the work I was doing. And one of the things that I've discovered about working around the house and even on a car, which I don't dare attempt that, is um, you, you really do need the right tool and you have to know the purpose for the tools that you're using. Uh, and when you have the right tool and when you know the purpose for which that tool was made, it does make the job quite a bit easier. You know what it's designed for. You're able to put it to that purpose, and then you can get the, jo- the job done much quicker and much easier. Uh, a hammer has been designed for certain tasks, and if you try to pull up weeds with a hammer, then things aren't going to go as efficiently and as quickly as if you use something else. You're going to end up frustrated. And you can see on the screen here, uh, we have this question this morning, what is our purpose? And As the institution of the church, as the gathered body of Christ, a local church assembly here, we need to wrestle with this question. What is our purpose? What are we here for? What are we all about? What was the church designed by God to do? 
And if you wrongly answer this question, which some people do, or if you don't think about the answer to this question, then you end up frustrated or you end up doing things that are contrary to the design and to the purpose of God. And so last week we began this series on the church. We asked the question, what are we? We tried to get at our identity as a local church, and we answered that question with the title of the series. We are a kingdom outpost. We're a little preview of the coming kingdom in the present world. We're an outpost of the coming kingdom. We're a preview of what the kingdom is supposed to look like in many ways. And so now that we know our identity today in this four-week series that we're doing on the church, we want to ask this question, what is our purpose? Why has God placed all of these kingdom outposts all over the world? I mean, why are we here on West Road as a body of believers gathering on Sundays throughout the week, getting together? Why are we here? What's our purpose? What is our goal? In other words, we're asking the question, what sort of tool are we this morning? And what are we designed to do as the body of Christ? That's the question we're going after this morning. And so today... I want to give you, and we're going to study four components of the church's purpose. And the goal of this is to motivate you and I into participation in the body of Christ more and more, right? So four components of the church's purpose that motivate us to participation. Four components of the church's purpose. The first one of these is our charge. We have a charge as the church. And this will kind of guide a lot of our study this morning. So obviously keep in mind the series title, Kingdom Outpost, and it's based, the whole thing is based on the understanding of the church that we talked about last week. And so if we're an outpost, if we're representing the kingdom and we're here placed where God has put us, then there's some reason that he has put all of these outposts all over the place. And within the larger purpose that God has for the church, there's a particular mission that he wants to accomplish Why? What is he doing? Why does he have us go out on a mission? Well, our mission or our task, our charge, is something that we have because of the authority of our king, because of Jesus Christ. And he has the right, he has the authority, because he's the ruler of the church, as we'll see in a few minutes, he's the head of the church. He has the right to give us a mission to accomplish. He is, he's the head of the church. And that position as the king or the head makes sense to us because the entire concept of the the ministry of Jesus, we talked about last week, the entire concept of the ministry of Jesus is that he is initiating and bringing the kingdom, at least in some ways, it's arrived on the scene through his ministry. And so our understanding of the church is wrapped up in Christ's preaching and inauguration of the kingdom. And so now we're an outpost of that kingdom. And so Jesus comes into the world. If you remember this from our study in Mark, he comes into the world with authority and he does all these miracles and he preaches with authority and he shows his power and authority over nature and over demons and over sickness. And he does all of that in his earthly ministry. And then he conquers sin ultimately on the cross with authority and defeats death by rising from the dead. And you guys remember what he says in Matthew 28, the first part of the Great Commission. And Jesus came and said to them, to his disciples, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, to him. He is, through his death, through his ministry, his death and resurrection, he is the victorious king. 
I mean, listen again to Philippians chapter 2. You know these passages. Because of the work that he did, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name. Now, let me kind of change your thinking on this passage here. The name that he's talking about is not the name Jesus. The name that he's talking about here is the name of Lord. It's the authority that he has. The name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess. And here's what they confess. Here's the name that's above every name, that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. So Jesus has the authority, but we don't fully see that authority enacted in the way that it will be here, like it says in Philippians chapter 2. It's not realized as his kingdom is not completely covering the earth, and he's not ruling over every aspect of the world right now in one sense. And so what Christ does is he exercises his authority in his people, his kingdom followers, as they gather into assemblies called kingdom outposts. And so his authority over the church flows from his authority over the world. Yes, he's sovereign over the world, and he enacts his authority in his kingdom outposts. A couple of passages to read to you that show this. Ephesians chapter 1. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And then a description of Christ here in Colossians chapter 1. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth. You can see his universal authority there, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions, rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He's the beginning, the firstborn, the original one from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. And so he has authority certainly over the world, but he has specific authority over his church to direct us and to give us a mission, a task, a charge. So what is that mission that Jesus Christ as the head of the church has given to his church? Well, you you all know the Great Commission. Listen to it again. Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. That is the charge. That's the task that we are given. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Teaching them to observe all that I've commanded you. Behold, I'm with you always to the end of the age. And if you weren't here uh, back in March, my very first message here at WBC was on this text. Matthew 28, 18 through 20. Where we get the... The centerpiece of our mission in the world. Because of Christ's authority over the church, we have this charge, this mission here. And this is the mission that separates us from every other entity on earth. This is what we're supposed to be all about. We are supposed to be all about making fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ. That's our task. That's our goal. If you were to summarize everything the church is to do and be, that would be it. Make disciples of Jesus Christ. And that takes us to our second component of our purpose. We have our charge, and then we have the content of that charge. What does this look like? So we have a big mission, an overarching mission, and now we need to know specifically what does it mean? What is the content of that mission? What does it look like to be a disciple or a follower 
of Jesus Christ. When you read the words of the Great Commission, it's clear enough that that's our, that's our purpose, that's our goal. Do you ever wonder why making disciples is so central to that? I mean, what is it about the process of making disciples that is so central to the purpose of Jesus in the world? Why is it that that is the way he's chosen to advance his kingdom and to advance his gospel in the world? Why that task? Well, to grasp that, you need to understand a little bit about God's original purpose or plans for mankind. And then you also need to understand what it really means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And if you go all the way back to the beginning, into Genesis, God's overall original plan for his creation was to have human beings rule and reign over the world as image bearers. That's the task that he gave to Adam and Eve. They were to multiply, fill the earth, take dominion over the earth, and represent God as his vice regents, as his rulers. They were to reflect his rule, his authority, and his likeness. And obviously that reign, that dominion was broken. The image was, was shattered or cracked in Genesis chapter 3. But Jesus Christ comes as a man, as a human being, in order to do what all other human beings couldn't do and to reestablish that reign over the earth. And then he's going to gather a group of people to him and they're ultimately going to reign with him over the earth. That's the plan. So Christ's coming is a fulfillment. It's the centerpiece of that original task and that original plan. And so Jesus comes onto the scene, he arrives, he calls men and women into his kingdom, and his goal is to remake them, to fix the brokenness, and to remake them into the image of their creator so that one day they can reign with him. That's the purpose. Revelation chapter 5. This is the goal. And they sang a new song saying, worthy are you to take the scroll to open its seals for you were slain and by your blood, you ransomed people, kingdom followers for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. And you have made them a kingdom of pre- and priests to our God. And it's kind of cut off there, but, and they shall reign on the earth. That's the mission. They're going to be put back into the image of the creator. And they're going to ultimately reign with Christ over the earth. That was the task he gave to Adam and Eve. That's the future for kingdom followers. That's what we're going to be doing. And so entering into this discipleship process is being given new life. Born again is the way John describes it. It's becoming a new creation. And it's entering into this new life as a citizen of the future kingdom. That's what we become. But as you get that new life, as that is initiated, it begins a growth process of putting aside the old ways of living and becoming a fully formed kingdom citizen. You and I are becoming people, human beings, who are fit to reign with Christ. That's the goal. The goal is following Jesus to the point where my character, who I am at the deepest level, reflects him and images him, which is exactly what Adam and Eve were originally supposed to do. That's what Christ is in the business of doing with us in the church. That's what it means to be a kingdom follower or a disciple follower of Christ. 
And so what that looks like, it means turning from self-centeredness and self-authority to humbly submitting to God's word by obeying his words and imitating Jesus. By seeing Christ as the fully formed human being, the ideal human being, and imitating that. What does that look like? Mark chapter 8. I don't think it's on the... Oh, it is on the screen. There we go. Mark chapter 8. This is the heart of what it means to be a follower of Christ. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, if you would be my disciple, if you would follow me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. I imitate the disposition and character of Jesus. I humble myself. I deny myself just like he did. And I do that in every area of my life. That's what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. One author said it this way. The call to discipleship is thus a call to reliance on Jesus for restoration of life with God rather than on autonomous human effort. I mean, that was the issue with Adam and Eve, right? They decided that they knew better. And that plunged the human race into a situation where we all think we know better. And we all think we know the right way. We're going to choose what's good and what's evil. And that's where we've ended up. And as Christ comes and makes kingdom followers, and as we as the church pursue this mission of making disciples, our goal is to see people turn from self-reliance, autonomous human effort, to humbly submitting to Christ's rule and reign. That's the content of our charge. That's what we're here to do. And that brings us to our next component, which is the course of this this endeavor. What does this actually look like? So we have a charge. We have the content of the charge, which is to make followers. And then the course of this is going to give us specifics. Now, as we talk about the course of discipleship, which is the heart of our mission, what it means for the church to make disciples, what does this look like? We need to be really careful about how we talk about the commands of scripture. All right. Sometimes we treat commands like Any sort of command in scripture is legalistic and bad. And sometimes people will think, well, anytime you call on someone to obey a command, that's that's legalism. Well, that's not the case at all. But on the other hand, when we make followers of Christ, simply checking a box, I don't murder, I don't commit adultery, I don't steal, simply checking those boxes and saying, well, I haven't done these things, that doesn't make you a fully formed follower of Christ. That's not the ultimate goal of discipleship. God's goal in giving us commands is not just so that we can avoid violating them. Hey, if you just don't do these things, then you're good. That's not his ultimate goal. The commands are there to train us to become whole human beings, to become who we were meant to be, to become fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ. And so as, as you think about that process that we're all involved in this morning of being a disciple of Christ and making disciples, when we think about our mission of making followers of Christ, I want to use two old school words to help you grasp what this looks like, all right? And those two old school words are virtue 
and character. What's a virtue? A virtue is a quality that becomes a part of who I am over time. And it becomes a part of who I am through right practices and right thinking. And I do it so much and I think that way so much that it becomes second nature to me. So, if you think about the virtue of patience. The the virtue of patience is not something that I acquire, that I get by knowing that I need patience or even by wanting patience. (laughs) Acknowledging that I need patience and then also wanting patience, those two things don't actually make me a patient person. How do you become one? I acquire the virtue of patience by repeatedly being patient in a given set of circumstances and by thinking correctly about patience as I'm practicing it. The thinking, the emotions, the actions all have to go together in this Repeated practicing of this virtue. And when you do that over time and over a period of maybe months and years, then it becomes second nature to you. And then when you encounter a situation, your your first reaction is to be a patient person. That is a virtue. And that's what it means to be a follower of Christ. Patience is not just obeying a list of commands not to get angry. Or not to punch someone in the face when something annoying happens. Oh, now I'm a patient person because I didn't do these things. Those commands guide you in the direction and they train you to be a patient person. It's not just about avoiding law breaking. It's actually a very positive thing. It's a disposition and a quality of life and of heart that guides you. And it guides you in all the various circumstances you're going to face in life. Because you and I encounter a number of different situations every single day. And a virtue is something that is formed within you that causes you to react second nature to those situations. No matter what the circumstances that confronts you. Now when you... Now, on the flip side of that, you can cultivate what's called a vice in your life. I know that's an old school word as well, but it's a really good word because it's something that you have trained within your heart that goes opposite of God's word, that actually is harmful to you as a human being. It's opposite of your discipleship in Jesus Christ. And so you have the combination of virtues or the combination of vices that you possess, all of those together make up your, your, the sum total of your character. And your character is your, think about it as your natural self. It's what comes out of you when you encounter a situation and you do it without thinking. It's almost like when you learn to play basketball or golf, and over time... Your golf swing becomes second nature to you. You don't have to think about all the details. That's what your character is. And as believers, all of us have formed vices and we form virtues in various areas. And the goal is to form virtues that reflect the image of Jesus Christ. That's discipleship. That's what we're talking about. The goal of our discipleship, and the reason I'm using these words of virtue and vice and character... It's not just because I'm a, an old man at heart <laughs> and I'm longing for the days when these things were talked about all the time. The reason I'm talking about that is because as, 
as those who are making disciples, we're not just forming people. We don't just want people who check a list. I haven't done these things, therefore I'm a disciple. Our goal is to form new people. I mean, we're born again into new life and we're on this process of becoming kingdom citizens and people who are fit to reign with Christ. And so we want people who have a different set of loves, a different set of affections, of desires, of virtues. Discipleship is a very slow process of putting on these character qualities. And the reason I'm talking about it this way is because this is exactly how the New Testament talks about sanctification. This is what it looks like. Believers are acquiring qualities of life and heart that form you into a new person. Your second nature becomes something different in five years than it is right now. And what sort of person are you and I becoming? What's the ultimate goal? For us, as we think about making followers of Christ, what's the goal? We'll look at Colossians. I thought it was on the screen. It's not. Flip over to Colossians chapter 3, and I want to show you what the goal is here. Colossians chapter 3. Paul's giving instruction about sanctification. It's a great chapter. Look at verse 9 is where we'll start. Do not lie to one another, Colossians 3, 9, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, right? So there's this, there's this pattern of living that you had when you were an unbeliever. And as a believer, you have put that off and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge. And here's what you're supposed to look like after the image of its creator, Here then is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all. He's the goal. His character is what we're supposed to look like. He is all and in all. Now, how do we do that? How do we become like Christ? Look at verse 12. Put on then, acquire these qualities. And notice, these aren't just commands that you either obey or disobey. These are qualities of life that you inculcate as a person put on then as god's chosen ones holy and beloved compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience bearing with one another and if one has a complaint against another forgiving each other as the lord has forgiven you so you also must forgive and above all these put on love which binds everything together in perfect harmony That's the goal. It's to put on those character qualities so that when you encounter a situation, your second nature response to that is patience and it's kindness and it's love. You don't have to sit there and go, okay, should I, should I not get angry at this point? No, your, your automatic reaction is to respond in graciousness and kindness. That's what it means to be a fully formed disciple and to be made in the image of Christ. One author described it this way. Jesus does not only teach a defined curriculum, but intends to reshape their thinking. This is the disciples, their thinking and heart attitude toward themselves and God, thus affecting every aspect of their lives. Jesus pursues nothing less than the complete reshaping of the disciples in mind and heart. That's the goal 
when Matthew, 8, or Matthew 28 talks about making disciples. We are becoming like Christ in our daily lives and being reshaped and remade into citizens of the kingdom. Remember last time we talked about bringing the culture of the kingdom into this world? This is what that means. It's becoming a group of people who our second nature reaction is virtues of the kingdom. We're char- we, we carry character qualities of Jesus Christ into this world. And so we're citizens of the kingdom now, but we're not fully there yet. And so in some ways we are becoming what we already are. We're announced as citizens of the kingdom and we're becoming fully formed citizens of the kingdom. So a disciple is someone being formed in the image of Jesus to look like him. So how do we make that happen as kingdom citizens, here is the course that we're talking about here. I'd like to describe this in two ways. One author said that we're ambassadors of the kingdom and we're also apprentices of the kingdom. And here's what he means by that. Disciples, this is to be an ambassador, represent their king in the world by bringing terms of surrender to rebels and the good news of victory to God's people. This is what it means to be an ambassador. We speak of the gospel to unbelievers and believers. We bring that good news to both. And this is what Jesus means by go in the Great Commission. It carries that weight of you have to be out there with people. This is why in Acts 1, Jesus tells his disciples to spread out over the whole earth. To bear witness to the king and his kingdom. We are ambassadors as we exist in this kingdom outpost. We're ambassadors, but we're also apprentices. And here's this description. As apprentices, disciples follow an expert and absorb their master's mindset and practices until they become capable on their own. I love that image of an apprentice. And so what we're doing on Sundays, in our small groups, every aspect of life here at WBC is we're apprenticing ourselves to Jesus so that we can be ambassadors for him out in the world. That's the goal. That's what we're driving for. That's the course that we have set. Now let me show you how we plan to accomplish that here at Woodhaven. Some of you uh, were in the communication meeting in September. And so you, you've heard about this, but one of the things that we did as elders was we tried to rework our mission statement, the mission statement of the church, to try to accurately to clarify this mission of being disciples and making disciples of Jesus Christ. We felt like Matthew 28 was so clear that this was our mission and this was our aim and our goal that we wanted to put this at the very center and the very heart of our mission statement. And so... Not that our old one was bad. We just wanted to clarify it and make it easy and clear and make it simple to understand. And so we reworked this to highlight that aspect of it and then to showcase exactly how we believe disciples are formed here within the body at Woodhaven. So let me show you the new mission statement. Woodhaven Bible Church exists to make followers of Christ And then here's how we do that. Here's the ways in which we do this here. Who worship God, connect with one another, and serve the church and the world. So we're here to make disciples. And we believe every disciple is formed, is made, his character is developed by worshiping God, connecting with other believers, 
practicing the one in others, and serving the church and the world. This is our goal. This is our mission. We wanted to make it very simple. So, getting back to our four components here, four components of the church's purpose. Our mission, essentially making followers, has taken up the first three of these. And so the goal of this is to uncover the bigger, broader purpose. And our mission is wrapped up in that. And when we are accomplishing this mission, when you and I are pursuing the goal of making disciples, when we're encouraging one another in this, when that happens, it will ultimately fulfill the purpose of the church. And I'm going to call this one the crux so that I can keep with the C's here. All right. This is the heart of the matter. This is the centerpiece of the purpose of the church. Discipleship is our mission, and when we understand it, when we pursue it in the right way, when this happens, it will lead to the ultimate purpose of the church, which is that God will be glorified, he will be exalted, and he will be honored in the way in which he deserves. Flip over to Ephesians chapter 3. I want to show you this specifically tied to the church. Ephesians chapter 3. We'll start in verse 7. This is the heart of the matter. This is what the discipleship, the virtue, the character development in all of us, this is what it looks like. This is the ultimate goal. Verse 7. Of this gospel, I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which was given me by the working of his power. To me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given... To preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan. All right, so we're talking big picture here. This is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things so that through the church. So here's the purpose. Through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This is the goal. This is the purpose. It's so that people, so that the rulers and authorities, so that everyone would see how wise and glorious and amazing God is. So that everyone would marvel at his character. That's why we make disciples. It's so that everyone will see this, so that the rulers and authorities will see this. Look at verse 11. This was according... this. This task or this goal was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Now notice what Paul does here at the end. He makes this very practical. Why do you continue to pursue discipleship in the local church? Why do we continue to gather together? Why do you go to small groups? Why do you do tiny little acts of service for one another within the body week in and week out? Why do we do all of this? It's so that God will receive glory. And ultimately, when we think about God's purposes in all of this, verse 13, so I ask you not to lose heart over what I'm suffering for you, which is your glory. There's a very practical aspect to understanding the bigger purposes and plans of God. So you and I are brought to salvation and placed in this body, and we pursue discipleship. As a church body, we, our goal is to make disciples for the purpose of showing off the wisdom of God. That's the crux of the matter. That's the goal. That's what we're aiming for. So, let's finish this morning by me asking you a couple of questions. Are you personally involved in this mission of discipleship? Are you involved in this? 
Because this mission of discipleship, this charge that we have, ultimately culminates in God being honored and glorified. That's the end game here. So the way that I'd like to ask this, are you currently involved in a relationship with another person, with maybe more than one person, other Christians, where you are helping them to become more like Jesus Christ? Is that your aim? Is that your intention? Is that the goal of at least a good chunk of the relationship? I want you to become more like Jesus, and I'm going to take specific steps to help you in that area. Are you involved in a relationship like that? Is that your goal for your friendships within the church body, for your ministry within the church body? I want you to be more like Jesus. That's the goal. And then let's flip it around the other way. Are you following someone who is helping you to become more like Jesus Christ in your daily life? To acquire these virtues that are Christ-like, patience and kindness and grace and justice and all of those those aspects of the character of Jesus. Are you pursuing someone who can help you in that area? Think of it like a chain where you're holding on to someone who you're following and then you're reaching back and getting someone else who's following you. And all of it is oriented toward making followers of Jesus Christ. The goal is to develop, to develop virtue, to develop character that makes you and I fit to be citizens of the kingdom. That's the goal. That's the mission. That's the charge. So let's keep that purpose front and center in our thinking and in every area of ministry here at Woodhaven. And when we do that, when every person is all about that goal and that mission and that endeavor, then the reality is that God will be honored and God will be glorified. And sometimes you may think, well, you know, it's such a, such a tiny area of ministry that I have. I mean, I'm working with maybe a couple of people or I'm involved in a small group or I'm serving in this particular area and it just doesn't seem to impact that much. But that's the whole point is that God says, as you're engaged in these things, the goal or the purpose is, the, the reality of the situation is, is that Jesus Christ God the Father will be seen as wise through the church functioning as it should. And the church functions as it should when we're making fully formed disciples of Jesus Christ. So let's keep that front and center. Let's make that our endeavor. And everything we do, let's focus it and center it on that. Let's pray. God, we're so thankful for your word. We're thankful for the opportunity to study this morning. We're thankful for your church. I pray that you would help us to keep these these goals front and center. I pray that we would be passionate about discipleship, that we would be passionate about making followers of Christ. And I pray that we would be passionate in our own lives about putting on character qualities that reflect the image of Christ. Help us not to be those who just check a list of, well, I didn't do this this week, so I must be doing okay. Lord, help us to actively, intentionally, positively acquire these virtues and qualities of heart and mind that will make us into the image of Christ. Help our second nature to change over the next month and year and five years. We need your help with this. This is not a matter of just doing it enough. We need the Holy Spirit 
We need the word of Christ. We need the body of Christ. So please use all of those gifts of grace in our lives to make us into the image of Christ. We thank you for this morning. Thank you for your word. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.